I want to talk to you about growth. We are at the, towards the end of our series looking at our three values, pursue God, build community, and grow people. I'm going to talk about growth. Uh, growth is a vital sign of life. Living things, as I've often said, living things grow. Growth is a vital sign of life. Often people uh, try to, I guess, put a challenge forward and they say, well, you know, can I come to this church if I'm this and can I come to this church if I'm that? And I, get, and I, and I say repeatedly, everyone and anyone can come, but when you come, know that when you put your hands, when you put your life in the hands of Jesus, everything is going to change. Like everything is gonna change. <laughs> anyone can come, but when you come, everything is gonna change. Because the work that God wants to do in our lives is a pervasive work because he wants to be pervasively God in your life. The big problem really with humanity, the nature of the human predicament is that we keep trying to be God. That's the essential problem of humanity. We keep trying to be God. When you shut God out of your life, we we naturally step into that space and we try to set our own destiny and I determine our own identity and, and you know, take control of our own environment and create our own little universe. And of course, we have to create a universe small enough over which it's possible to feel like we're in control. So our world, our reality, our field of reality becomes very narrow and we end up getting encased, even suffocated uh, by it in so many ways. And God wants to break us out of that. There's a whole genre of uh, literature um, that is dedicated to growth. Growth in our culture is, uh, is a very important thing. It's recognised. Um, but the, the growth that I'm talking about is radically different in nature because we radically differ on, in terms of the starting point. <laughs> that genre of literature is sometimes referred to as self-help literature. Self-help literature. And can I suggest to you that you need way more help than you yourself can possibly offer to yourself. You need way more help than that. No, you need divine help because God wants to do something amazing. Um, one of the things uh, that I, as I look back at my life of um, 30 or so years, decades, three or more decades, Three, about three decades of being a Christian. I look back and I see so many experiences that some of them I still don't understand, but what I do understand when I look back at the very winding kind of bumpy road, undulating road that I've been on is that God grew me through it all. <laughs> I grew through it. At the time I complained about this and about that. And one of the key, one of my key problems along the way was that I kept, and one of the key misunderstandings, and this is the first misunderstanding that I wanna to correct tonight. I made the mistake of constantly externalizing my goals. And what I mean by that is that I, I saw the things that I wanted to achieve in terms of my 
environment, the things that I brought about, the achievements, the, 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 the relationship, it was always externally. And then the core of my frustrations was always those things around me, my circumstances and my perhaps relationships and, and, and career, whatever those things were, they, they never seemed to go the way that I wanted, right? So I kept, so I would often be really frustrated. And, and often, you know, often my hopes would be dashed and I'd be, it was such a up and down journey because I was constantly externalizing my goals, right? I'm here, I'm gonna achieve this and that and this is what I want in my environment. This is what I want in my relationships. And when they're not like that, I became angry and, and, and I realized at one very important point, well, it was a bit of a gradual realization. I realized something very important that I wish someone had told me sooner in all of my project-centeredness, I love a project, I'm working on this and doing that, and I've got this goal, and pretty, you know, I was pretty achievement-driven. One of the things that I needed to realize is that I am the project. I am the project. You are the most important project. In all of your circumstance, whatever is going on, it's gonna really help you if you understand when you're asking the question, God, what are you doing here? Invariably, God's reply is, I'm working on you. Because God is all about building people, a certain kind of people. Not just individualistically, but creating a people who emerge from their little suffocating individualistic burrows and have the capacity to live a bigger communal life for a common purpose. And when I look back, I see that's exactly what God was doing. And I have to keep reminding myself. And I encourage you to do this. Whatever situation is frustrating you most right now, whatever situation is bringing you is making you angry or that we, we, we can have a tendency to, because we externalize our goals, to run away from difficult circumstances or to blame other people. But what God wants us to do is ask the question, God, what are you saying to me in this situation? What are you saying to me, God, now in this situation? Because I am the project. It's not about what I achieve here and there and here. No, no, it's about what God is doing in my life. Because God is building a people for himself. Corporately, Jesus said, I will build my church and each of us are building blocks in that church. You are the project. Recognize that in your present situation and it will enable you to connect with what is most important to God. When I look through scripture, I see amazing stories of this very principle, God building a people for himself. The story of Israel in the Old Testament is often depicted and often alluded to in the Bible as though it's talking about an individual. You know, God talks about my servant Israel. For example, in the prophecies of Isaiah, often uh, talks about my servant Israel. Of course, that becomes the Messiah who represents Israel. But Israel is often depicted as an individual. Um, and when you read the whole story of Israel, 
and you, you see the kinds of things that they went through. I mean, man, it was a, it was a rough journey that this, that this nation went through, that this people went through. And yet, there is no other people group that has had a greater impact on the world than that people of God. God knew what he was doing. God knows what he, was doing, what he is doing. If I, can, if I can encourage you with anything tonight, it's this. I implore you, put your life in God's hands. We've got to try to, we've got to, try to wrest ourselves away from this addiction to playing God. And God will help you if you are willing to let him be God. You're not good at being God because in case you hadn't noticed, you're not God. I implore you, put your life in God's hands because God will do something with your life that you could never imagine. As I look at the story of individuals throughout that story of Israel, it's really interesting how the story of individuals kind of points prophetically to the story of the whole nation. It's like the two kind of point to each other. The story of individuals is determined by the purpose that God has for his people as a whole, but then the story of God's people as a whole is reflected in the story of individuals. Here's what I mean by that. Take, for example, the story of Joseph, and I'm just gonna give you a few brief examples. Um, the story of Joseph is, is, is at the end of the book of Genesis and the book of Genesis kind of works off the promise that's given to Abraham, which says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, Genesis chapter 12. I will make your name great, that is make for you a great name, a great role, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise, okay? That's what God wanted to make his people into corporately and individually, right? So Joseph has this dream and in this dream, he, he sees that God is giving him this great, ident this great identity and he, he sort of interprets that. It seems like he interprets that with, with, a, with a bit of, um, bit of ego there because he runs to his brothers and he says, hey, uh, to his brothers, and try to imagine this. He says, I just had this dream, guess what? God's gonna make me so great that even you're gonna bow down to me. How good is that? They sell him into slavery. They throw him into a pit first, I should say, and then they sell him into slavery. Uh, because they're, you know, they're, 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 uh, one of the brothers argues them down from actually killing him. So that's how they responded to that. So now Joseph, has received this great promise and the blessing that, that he receives from his father, the blessing is such that his brothers are jealous of him, so they sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt, he becomes a slave in Egypt. Who does that remind you of? That's the story of Israel. That's exactly the story of Israel. So blessed by God, blessed by the Father and they end up in slavery in Egypt. But through that, they become the people. Through that, Joseph becomes the person that God 
called him to be. He, it kind of gets worse, actually. He becomes a slave. Then he's thrown into prison. And ultimately, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. You can read the story. In fact, I think in a couple of weeks, uh, Bridie's going to be talking about this story. But it says at the end of this story, there was a time of famine. And it says that all the peoples of the earth, the word earth and land is the same word in Hebrew, all the peoples of the earth came to Joseph for food during the famine. He is a blessing to all the ends of the earth. It's like this prophetic prefigurement of God's calling on this people, right? So God gets him there at the end, but what it takes to get Joseph there. Another classic example is Moses. Uh, Moses is in Egypt. He's, you know, he's part of the royal household. He sees his people in slavery, that the Hebrews in slavery, the Israelites. He thinks, I can do something about this. I can, you know, I can actually, I'm, I'm in this position. I've got these resources. Um, how good am I? I can help God. So he steps out and he tries to, you know, he tries to make something happen. Doesn't go well. He ends up 40 years wandering in the desert, actually literally wandering because he's a goat herder. So he's a nomadic goat who is literally wandering in the desert. Who does that remind you of? For those of you who know the story of Israel in the Old Testament, 40 years wandering in the desert. That's the story of Israel yet again. The Moses who emerges and goes before Pharaoh, it was the, that was where he encounters God. You know, this is where he sees the burning bush. The Moses who emerges and goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go and parts the Red Sea, all those sorts of things. That Moses was made in the desert. God built that Moses in the desert. David, another classic story. He's anointed as king. You know, he starts to win all these victories. It's going really well. You know, the goal, he's gonna, he's gonna receive the kingship. It almost seems just there. And then he goes into exile. He spends a whole, a number of years actually in exile, being chased out into the desert. And again, it's like a prefigurement of the story of Israel because Israel is gonna go into exile. But that desert period was the making of David. It was a very difficult period. You read the Psalms. It was a very, very difficult period for David. He, it was agony for him. And yet it was the making of that man. And how many times you read in the Psalms, God, why, why, what's, what's, why are you doing? How long, Lord, is it gonna take? But it was the making of David. David was growing, sorry, God was growing David into the person he wanted him to be because we are the project. We are the project. It's about who God is making you into. And often what has to happen is that all that's false, the false self that's built in our God complex, that actually has to kind of be stripped away and torn down. And so something new can be built up. That's the difference with Christian growth is that there's something that needs to be demolished for something else to be built up. And then we jump to the New Testament and there's the story of Peter. And this is fascinating because when you read the book of Acts, Peter 
Peter's ministry is so powerful. This man leads the church, is the leader of the New Testament church, which just has this amazing influence on the ancient world, right? He's the leader of this church in the first generation. He has such a powerful ministry that people line the streets so that even Peter's shadow would touch them so that they could be healed. That's how powerful his ministry was. But it wasn't always so. Peter doesn't start off there. I wanna read to you uh, something from Matthew chapter 16. And uh, it says here in, uh, from verse 15, uh, sorry, from verse 21, better get my glasses. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day must be raised to life. So in other words, the victory was gonna be gained through death. Jesus' victory was gonna be gained through death. And he was calling his disciples to gain a victory through a kind of death, right? Well, Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't think this is a good idea. Peter thinks that he knows better. Um, so it says in verse 22, Peter took him aside, that is Jesus, no less. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Man, that's the same Peter that is this absolute powerhouse of spiritual influence in the book of Acts. But Jesus goes on and what he says next is important. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, that is the false self that we build, right? Because in our God complex, we decide who we're gonna be and what we're gonna live for and all those sorts. That self has to die. So whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's gonna be victory through a kind of death. It's gonna be life through death. That's how growth is gonna happen. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good Will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You see, what God wants to do is that he wants to build in you a heart, a soul for him, a temple of his Holy Spirit. That's what he's growing well, the story, as the story goes on, at one point, um, and this is recorded in Luke chapter 22, 
uh, it's recorded in the other Gospels, but I love the version in Luke 22 because it says that it's during the Last Supper and the disciples are sitting around and they're having an argument. And uh, guess, guess, guess what they're arguing about? This is a classic. They're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And I bet, I bet Peter's, he's got a, he's got a, you know, he's got a strong argument here, I bet. I bet he's, he's really going for this, uh, the greatest thing, right? Because of what Jesus uh, says to him a little bit further on. Because Jesus turns to Peter and he says this in Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your, fa- that your faith may fail not. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you even know me. And that's a big deal because one of the things the disciples were called to be was witnesses to Jesus. And then pretty much just after this, Peter profusely denies, I don't even know this guy. And he's so shocked, he's so devastated that he weeps. Because when Satan asked that whether he could sift Peter like wheat, the implication there is like Job, you know, God said, let him be sifted as wheat, but his faith did not fail. That's where Peter was made. Peter was made. He was demolished. He went through a kind of death. And the Peter that comes out of that is a completely different person. The other day, um, I was in Melbourne and uh, we were looking at this, this uh, work site, marvelling at this work site on this big block. They were demolishing a building. It looked like it had been about a four-storey building. And uh, actually, no, it was, it was probably a little bigger than that. And there was this excavator sitting in the midst of this work site and it was just every, it was just an absolute mess, right? And the amazing thing about all of this, not only was there just concrete and bricks just everywhere, but there was all of this Rio, all of this steel, like really thick steel was just like spaghetti just all over the place. <laughs> we were looking into this work, work site thinking they are gonna have to go in there and like cut every single one of those bits of steel, like to demolish that site. And essentially, in order to build, because what they were looking to do was to build a, a big skyscraper, right? But in order to build something bigger, in order to build something bigger and better, and this is my point, you have to demolish what's already, you can't just build on top of what's already there. And so you have to, not only do you have to clear the site, and this is gonna connect with what I talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, or last week even, uh, perhaps, yeah. Not only do you have to clear the site, but actually what they do is that they dig right down. They create this massive, massive cavity because the higher the building needs to go, the deeper the footings need to go. And so 
It begins with this demolition. I've been reading uh, or, or following a bit of what's you know, been happening, the aftermath of what happened uh, over in Turkey. And one of the problems uh, with all of those buildings is that uh, in, invariably the, they, they, the lower levels were quite weak and they would often just keep building on top of these quite weak lower levels, right? And, when the, and that kind of worked okay uh, until the earthquake came. But when the earthquake came, it all came crashing down. Now there's all these inquiries and, uh, you know. Um, you see, God knows what's coming up. God knows what your life need to, needs to withstand. God knew that Peter, you know, that that confident Peter gung-ho and, you know, I'm the best and I'm gonna help God with this and I'm gonna rebuke Jesus and sort of correct Jesus and I think this is the way. I mean, that, that self-confident Peter, Jesus knew that that Peter, when the earthquake came, was gonna crumble down. And Jesus was prepared to let that happen because he wanted to build something new. Because we are the project and God wants us to grow. But in order to grow, actually, there's an element of demolition that needs to happen of all that is false. All that, you can't just build on top of that. And God knows what is up ahead for you. God knows what is up ahead for us. God knows what is up ahead for this world. And he's looking to build a people of faith, a strong people of faith. And you, can, you might wonder, God, what are you doing in my life? Why this and why that and why this? And God would continually point to you and say, I'm building you. Because you, and I mean that not only you individually, but us as a people, you are my temple. I am building my church. That's what I'm doing. I'm building you. You are the project. Don't ever forget that. Whatever happens. But you can also know and have hope and have joy in the midst of all of this, knowing that whatever happens, right, as it says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, you can know that whatever is happening, even though your external circumstances and think that you know, aspects of your life might be really difficult, you can know and have hope in the fact that God is at work on you. So don't blame the situation. Don't run away from the situation. Don't kick and scream. Don't keep trying to take control of the situation and try, you know, just try harder to play God. No, let God be God. And say to God, God, what are you wanting to change in me in this situation? Because then you will connect with what God is doing, what he does, and what he will continue to do. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It is to be willing to give up everything, Anyone can come, folks. Jesus calls everyone. And he excludes no one except for those who don't think they need him, who are not willing to change, who are entitled, who are... There are stories of Jesus actually turning those kind of people away. But like, you know, the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the worst of the worst and the outcasts and the lepers and all that. Like, 
It's the people that really knew that they needed help. They were the ones, as I said last week, they were the ones that experienced the power of God. Anyone can come, but you need to come knowing that everything is going to change when you entrust your life to Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian, to entrust your life to Jesus. And he will change everything. Do you want to change? Do you know that you need to change? Living things grow. Change wrought by the Holy Spirit in our lives is the vital sign that you are alive. So I implore you, put your life in the hands of Jesus and see what he will do with your life. He will make your life into something you could never have imagined. Please stand with me. As we close, we're gonna sing this, uh, this song together that encourages us to surrender ourselves so that God, as the imagery that's used here, so that God can bring new wine out of our lives. And I love this song because of the symbolism, because wine in Scripture is a symbol of joy, right? God wants to bring a new, deeper joy out of your life. But actually, to get to that point, there's a bit of crushing and pressing, and there's a process to get to that point. But listen, be encouraged because God is in the process and he is leading you to the place where your life will exude the wine of joy. Let's commit together to this.